Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. Hey there, good neighbor. You like my northern accent? I perfected it during my college years in the great north, but unfortunately I don't have the lyrics to the 30 point buck memorized, so I can't serenade you with my frozen vocal cords. Anyway, for episode 4 of the First Gen Hunter podcast, Brandon and I are discussing the source of inner turmoil all hunters will face at some point. Yep, that includes you. The thrill of a successful hunt contrasted with the grief of taking an animal's life. So, join us for this audio therapy session as we address the elephant in the room, the hunter's dilemma. Thank you again for tuning in to First Gen Hunter Podcast. This is episode four, live, and I would say in living color, but since all you can hear is our velvet, high-quality, high-definition, whatever you want to call it, voices, I can't say that. So so here we are. Brandon, how are you, man? It's good. It's good catching up with you again. Yeah, doing great, doing great. Excited. Uh, I got. We know we have some good stuff uh, planned for tonight, so looking forward to getting into it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, tonight's topic is the hunter's dilemma, but I don't want to. I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. So, as always, <laughs> uh, we need we need a good kickoff topic, and uh, yes, tonight is something that. Um, I've wondered about for a while. I've heard some debate on. I think most most people believe in the power of ozonics for scent control of course some people believe that Mm -hmm. scent control isn't necessary at all um i do not believe that way and i i think from talking with you before you you are pretty big on scent control as well for sure Um, but but yeah you know people are always like does that does that ozonic stuff work and i'm going to tell you right now for a human it does (laughs) because um (laughs) As of uh, this this uh, recording right now that we're, we're we're doing for episode four, there is a smoking hot sale on Amazon right now um, for a well recognized brand of Ozonics products, and I decided to take advantage of that. Purchased nice. uh, my first Ozonics uh, product, and uh, I had a perfect opportunity for putting it to the test um (laughs) a a story i imagine you can you can almost smell yourself as a Mm. uh, father of multiple young children yes yeah you know where this is going yep 
Oh the old yeah, yeah. diaper pail. <laughs> yep, yep, <laughs> you know, yep. Oh, it's bad. It's bad. <laughs> yeah, you know, just just that that term. You know, there's just some terms yeah. that, that when you you use them, you just feel like you gotta like go use mouthwash afterwards. You know. Yeah, yeah, for and, sure. And diaper. For sure. It brings up bad, bad, bad memories. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and and you know, scent is so closely tied to memory function that mm-hmm. that's that's yes, probably why. But yes. But the word diaper pail, it definitely just it it uh it <laughs> it grabs you by the nostrils and drags you back mm-hmm. to that connotation. Mm-hmm. I mean. Yep. So so anyways, the the diaper pail here in my daughter's room. My daughter is uh fifteen months old. So definitely mm-hmm. definitely still a uh user of diapers, but uh hopefully uh <laughs> within a few months, you know, we can start maybe doing some uh well, maybe not a few months, but five months or so. I, I can't remember when we started with my son, but hopefully we can start moving towards potty training before too long. Yeah, yeah, sure. But uh, long story short, there was a ripe pail of diapers in her room, uh, and and don't think I'm like some terrible dad here. It's like a day and a half, right? It wasn't, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't right, like right, cooking sure. in there for a week, you know, overflowing and, yeah. and you know. I only do that with the trash, you know, where you like, right. I just keep pushing it down farther, pushing it down. It doesn't <laughs> yeah, need to exactly. go out yet. You can get more in there. It's fine. <laughs> That's yeah. right. That's right. <laughs> no, so, the, so it's only been in there for a day and a half, but it was, you know, I don't know what she ate, but it was, it was, uh, what's the term? Aromatic. It was, there was, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there was definitely a, a smell there. And I was like, you know yeah. what? As a science teacher, I cannot pass up on a good experiment. And yes. my Ozonics product came in the mail today, and I was like, test number one. I leave this pail of diapers in the room, and I plug in um, the ozone-producing device and mm-hmm. uh, shut the door, and I come back in like 20 minutes and see if see if uh, there's any improvement here. And yep, I, yep, yep, yep. And, and I am here to tell you. I tried, you know, I was like, I was like snorting diaper air, man. I was, <laughs> I was, I was trying to smell diapers and I could not. Yeah. The air was, was totally cleaned of diaper scent molecules. So that's, that's a legit test. Legit test. Yeah, man. I, you know, you, you always got to take a bad thing and turn it into a good thing, right? So, mm-hmm. so yep. today I did yep. that. With, Absolutely, I did that with the diaper pail, and it, and it it was a good testament. Now, you know, you might be thinking you might still have your doubts because we know that deer have a a much stronger sense of smell than what we do as humans, and that's true. Mm-hmm. Not gonna not gonna downplay that, but. I figure if it at least cuts down that much for us to where we can't detect it, then yeah. it's going to cut down how well a deer can detect it significantly as well. Maybe not down to zero, but it might mean that if the wind swirls on you a little bit while you're in the stand and you had a little Ozonics, a uh, little battery-powered Ozonics machine going while you're in your stand, yes, you might be able to get away with it. So Yeah, right, right. I don't know. I'm hope I'm hoping to uh do some more experimenting with it though in the future and and um I'm trying to think of like a uh good DIY pro- project for um like uh making my own uh uh like I don't know 
scent free tarp or something, you know, that I can like hang up all my clothes under a tarp or something. I know they make yeah, similar yeah. products to that. So uh, maybe yep. I'll maybe I'll put some plans on uh, firstgenhunter.com to to there you go. But of course, it has to work in order to to do that. So <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Might just be one of my harebrained ideas, like whistling for uh, quail while I'm I'm uh, hey, shed hunting. <laughs> I mean, I guess, hey, the ultimate proof is you could always, you know, put the clothes in uh, in the same room as the diaper pail, run the Ozonics, and then, hey, you know, go out hunting the next day, and, hey, if they don't win you, boom, there you go. <laughs> Test completed. Yeah, that's right. The cor- <laughs> the, 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 last little, uh, the last little variable we need in our experiment would, uh, would provide full circle confirmation. I like hey, if it. you need some extra di- extra uh, used diapers, uh, my family can facilitate <laughs> that as well. <laughs> you know, speaking of Amazon and used diapers, did you see that back around like Christmas time with the porch pirates no. and everything? Everybody loves no. a good. Oh, oh man, everybody loves a good porch pirate gotcha uh, story. <laughs> there, there were there was some lady I saw in the news. She kept getting hammered yeah. by porch pirates, so she loaded up a uh, a staged. <laughs> Amazon box and filled it with dirty oh diapers. That was, oh my goodness! That is that, that is, is great justice right there, man. That is <laughs> yes. You can only hope that Love like it. right when they cut the box open, you know, somebody said their yes. name, so they like looked up and just yes. reached into the block the box blindly or something. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> One could only the, the hope. things anything like you said anything related to smell or something that could be smelled. You you envision the entire scenario in your mind. <laughs> And you just you just hope that true justice was served. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's what that's what I'm hoping for. Oh, <laughs> uh, good! This is a good. This is a good way to kick things off. Right here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're totally <laughs> off off of hunting right now. But but uh, like I said, who doesn't like a good uh, porch pirate comes to justice? Uh, yes, story. right. Well, anyways, as I uh, said earlier. Our topic for today is the hunter's dilemma, and I think you know what I mean by that. Um, yes, I guess it's the, it could be summed up in this question, and I think mm-hmm. it's a I think it's a question that um, many first gen hunters consider before they actually go hunting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I think it's also a question that that many first gen hunters don't consider before they go hunting. But they yeah. start asking it real quick the first time they have oh, yeah. connected on their game. And mm-hmm. and that question is, what if hunting makes me feel sorry? Mm. So what if I take a shot at, we'll say, a pheasant, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. up until this point, I've missed every time, mm-hmm. but at this time, I finally connect, mm-hmm. pheasants on the ground, and I realize it's not bass fishing anymore. I can't just take it off mm. the hook and right and uh, say, "All right, go on and get bigger." This is the yeah. end. This is yeah. This is permanent. We're playing for keeps here. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so we, we want to really dive into that question. Mm-hmm. It's certainly a question I've asked myself multiple times. Yeah, um, I imagine the same for you, Brandon, through all your years of hunting. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, you know, unfortunately, I can reflect on, you know, a lot of different scenarios. And, you know, I think for those who say, you know, what if hunting makes me feel sorry? You know, that that's a that's a, a it's a reasonable question. And 
you know what, if you're a normal person, there are going to be times where, you, you know, you, you feel bad, you know, and, and that just makes you a normal person who is caring, you know. Um, and I think what's interesting is a lot of individuals who are opposed to hunting, and there's actually very interesting, an article came out today, actually it was actually yesterday, um, on a major hunting publication that talked about how the number of, of people in America um, are increasing in terms of the number of people that support hunters I saw um, or yeah. support hunting. Did you see that? Yeah. Yep. yep. And, uh, you know, I think it's interesting that uh, one of the reasons why some people, and, and fortunately it's lesser in numbers now, but why some people don't like hunting or hunters is because they feel that hunters, you know, you know, hunt for the pleasure of the kill, things like that. And, sure. and, you know, while certainly there are, you know, individuals out there that, that, that may be the case for the, the, the bulk of hunters, you know, are actually the people who, you know, like to preserve land species, you know, they give money towards those things. Um, they want a clean harvest, all those types of for things. Sure. So they're not, hunting for the pleasure of the kill they're they're hunting really out of respect for the game and in a situation like what we're talking about tonight you know we we want to take care of things in as much of a humane way as possible so you know it's 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 good to get that out there and make that very clear that that that, you know that really is the mindset of the bulk of the hunters out there yeah i think you started the conversation out perfectly and even going back to where you started with saying Mm mm-hmm it's really, I think, a sign of healthy thinking to have that turmoil. Yeah. And yeah. Mm-hmm. that that mixture of joy and, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe maybe a little bit of grief, right? Maybe mm-hmm. maybe a little mm-hmm. bit of grief. Um, and, yeah. and certainly a apologetic feeling, you know, that... Mm-hmm. That uh, that feeling that we try to get our kids to feel when they slug their sibling, right? You want them to to feel sorry. You definitely <laughs> feel that times right, a million, right? right? And and uh, yes, you 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 have that that true um, mixture of emotions uh, of extreme emotions, yeah. which is mm-hmm. strange but powerful at the same time. And yes, and I think it's powerful because the the thing you were kind of finishing up your statement there with that's what leads us to being so respectful towards mm-hmm. towards the game that we're pursuing and yeah and i'm not gonna hide my head in the sand here and um say that all hunters are this way that's not unfortunately the case right. you know yeah. but i think if we truly look at you know not just the definition of the term hunter uh one who hunts right uh, but right. but the intention and the um, association and um, maybe even the what other hunters what their acceptance of someone being called a hunter would be I I don't think mm-hmm. we really mm-hmm. even classify those people as as hunters because there's there's an an essence or or an aspect of gamesmanship mm-hmm. and sport and yeah if you're just out there to to disrespect animals and and yeah. and poach and and things like that. I don't I don't really think that that that's that's the same thing. So yeah, I think you're right. spot on though. I think that people see that emotional connection there that it's not just all oh, right, you know, blood and guts. Yeah, you know, we we really uh yeah. uh wipe them out and you know, that's yeah. that's I think people know that the vast majority of 
of uh, out of season camo wearers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> they 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 are not of that thought. They they truly love the animal yeah. that that they're um, pursuing and. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I think that that's part of it, too, is we do have so much admiration for the, for the game that we pursue. You know, I, yeah. I, I'm, I know you have a, a few deer heads up on your walls, and, um, mm-hmm. you know, I have antlers all over my house, shed antlers. I got a deer head on my wall and, yep. and you know, mm-hmm. pheasant feathers all over the place. And, mm-hmm. you know, all of that stuff is, is because we value um, that game. And, and so that turmoil, I think it, it's a sign of health. It's a sign of healthy thinking. Yeah, for sure. And it leads to that, that respectful thought towards our, and treatment towards, towards what we we're pursuing. So here's a question yeah. then that maybe we should kind of build off of that. So that mm-hmm. intense feeling and, and just mm-hmm. to kind of maybe if somebody is, is, pretty well brand new to hunting and maybe they even haven't had a moment where they've they've uh, had a, a what, what we would term by you know notching a tag or fill, filling the game bag a, mm-hmm. a quote-unquote successful hunt i think there's we've we've discussed this before that there's more than mm-hmm. just are you killing something to count yourself successful yeah. but but mm-hmm. let's say they haven't had that quote-unquote successful hunt yet they might be wondering, well, first of all, how how intense is this feeling? Um, mm-hmm. I I'm I know people will actually shed a tear or two when they realize the, you know, that their hunt has been successful and that it's come to mm-hmm. a conclusion here, and mm-hmm. um, they're happy, but they're they're also they're also sad. Yeah. At the same time, for for the loss of you know for taking this animal's life, so I, it is a suffice it to say it is a strong feeling it's a it's a very strong yes. emotion we're going to get into some stories later some personal some personal stories uh, that Brandon and I have from our own experiences that mm-hmm. that kind of will paint that picture a little bit better i think but here's yeah. where i want to lean on your expertise and your your um many years of experience here does that feeling ever diminish in any way yeah, I think a, a big part of the feeling is, you know, part of who you are. You know, everyone, you know, does have, you know, a little bit of a different way that in which they process things. You know, for instance, um, you know, my brothers and I, uh, I have two brothers and, you know, we're, we, we're best friends growing up. We still are best friends today and, you know, spent most of our time growing up hunting and fishing together. I mean, sure. that's that's what we did. Sure. And, uh you know, one of my brothers, he's, you know, much more, uh, emotional in that sense, mm-hmm. in, in the sense of, you know, with, with, you know, an animal dying and, and things like things of that nature. So I think it is personality based a bit. So we kind of all yeah. find where we fall in, in that range. Um, but you know, I think, I think you do become more comfortable with it in the sense that you understand that you're out there and you, sh- you're, you're striving to make a clean harvest, but you also understand that the longer you do it, it's like anything else you're going to have it, it is it's it's only a matter of time until you miss something until you wound something until you yep. mortally wound something but you know yep. perhaps it's struggling and so you've got to you've got to weigh those things out in your mind and and being prepared you know preparing yourself 
that that is going to happen at some point is really key. So, I mean, to answer the question succinctly, you know, no, it does never go away, but you get more comfortable with it because you understand you're out there for the right reason um, and you're more prepared. So as you're more prepared, then you can handle things more quickly in a more humane way, you know, and unfortunately we do have those stories where, boy, you know, looking back, if we could have done something different, we would have, but you know, that's all part of the learning process, whether you're a first gen hunter, whether you've been hunting for many years, you know, we've talked about it before, you never stop learning. And this is just another one of those areas. Yeah. It's a, uh, excellent way to say it. And I I think maybe a term you could throw in there is Mm -hmm. you're wrestling with it, right? Through all those years of hunting, you're, well said. you, Mm -hmm. you, Mm And that's, I mean, that's essentially what what you were saying. You were, you, you've thought it over, you've processed it, you know mm-hmm. that that's the reality, but you also know all those other really important truths that you were kind of getting to at the very beginning of this conversation. And we're going to talk about even some more here um, before the end of the show, but, but when you... And, and the same thing that Brandon's saying, I've only been hunting again for five years. That same thing has already been happening for me. It's not a, it's not a, oh, you just get used to it, you know. <laughs> you, yeah. you know, you get used to your kids screaming their head off, <laughs> you know. By, by the time you're on kid two, you're, you're pretty used to, to, yes. to babies crying. But, but um, yes. that, that's a, that's a different type of acceptance, right? This is, this mm-hmm. is a thought mm-hmm. through maybe a few few nights uh, when you're laying in bed and you're just kind of lost in your thoughts yeah. type of thing that you, you yep. really process. And, yeah, well said. And, you know, when you weigh all those things together, it gets easier, I think, to to handle those emotions and, and know where yeah. you stand and basically be at peace with it maybe is a good way to, yes. to, to say well it. said. Well, with that, let's, let's try and, um, I guess, create, uh, a picture of scenarios here that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we again and the last thing I want to do through through communicating on this topic is scare somebody away from hunting and, That's right and that that would not be our intention here the reason mm-hmm. Brandon and I are, are bringing these stories up is because of exactly what Brandon just mentioned. You do this long mm-hmm. enough and and it's not going to be a squeeze the trigger animals, you know, dead before they hit the ground. Sometimes that happens. Right. Some yeah, mm-hmm. or or you know within a few seconds. Sometimes you know, and and man, you thank the Lord when it does cuz it it yes, it's, it's a relief. But yes. But that unfortunately is is not the case many times and mm-hmm. and 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 I'm not going to say like it happens the majority of the time you know that's why you that's mm-hmm. why you practice that's why you sure you put in those o- mm-hmm. hours during the summer at at the archery range or the gun range mm-hmm. and um, just yep. know your equipment really well know know mm-hmm. you're going to hit your target the vast majority of the time you know that's that, yep. That's part of responsibly preparing for this. But another part of yes. responsibly preparing for this is is thinking through what can happen. And, and yeah. I think if you do that, just like most other bad scenarios, if you kind of process in your mind, okay, you know, uh, if this happens, 
this is kind of the plan and this is the this is what I need to to keep in mind and remember so everything doesn't go from bad to worse you know uh, and, yes. and and so I think that that this kind of fits into that category in, in some ways maybe um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. maybe you know I don't want to talk like it's a tragic life event here but but um yeah but it is it is something significant and I think if you kind of wrestle through these and consider some of our stories we're going to tell you here yeah. in just a minute um, I think that maybe that'll help you, uh, I don't know, sift through the, the, the situation a little bit better and, and pick out mm-hmm. the good pieces and see them, yes. see them as truly a positive thing that, that, that paints the overall, um, activity of hunting in a, a positive, uh, color. So yes, Brandon, again, you have, uh, by far the most experience here, so, I'm gonna let you uh, lead off on this if you if you feel comfortable with that. Sure. Um, maybe uh, yeah, yeah. tell a story or two about when things did not go quite as planned. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, as you guys know, and as I've, I've said, you know, I've pretty much been hunting from the time I was you know five or six years old, going with my dad and. And then kind of learning the ropes from there. And, you know, when I reflect back on different scenarios um, in, with multiple game, you know, sure. uh, a lot of a lot of times it comes down to um, preparation, you know, uh, and, and if, if we could even give a few tips along the way is that preparation you know if you're if you're out bow hunting for instance you know don't don't bring two broadheads you know bring three or four you know uh you know one can fall out on the way and next thing you know you're in a scenario where you might be shooting at a deer and you've got one broadhead you know those types of things can set you up for for a lot of a lot of issues but you know on my front you know I, i remember even as a as a you know a kid, you know, 12, 13 years old, you know, we used to go snow goose hunting right mm-hmm. in, actually literally right out of my, out of my backyard. We used to actually oh, nice. hide behind the camp. <laughs> I mean, it was, it, it was, it was kind of a funny situation. You know, we, we had tons of snow geese in the area and they would land across the, across the road from my house in a field. And then we had, you know, nothing but field behind us. And sure. so we would actually just, just, you know, basically hide behind the camper, you know, nice. there was a, a pop-up camper that was just down. We would hide behind and when they would, you know, when and they would get up they would fly over us and uh we would have opportunities to, to take shots sure. and we shot a good amount of snow geese back in that day and you know of course inevitably you know when you're hunting snow geese or any sort of you know waterfowl or, or birds you know you're going to have those times where you just wing an animal yep. and uh you know it's going to go down and you know sometimes the the, the force of the of, you know, impact is going to you know take care of and assist you with things sometimes not and you know i had a situation like that with a snow goose and you know looking back then you know i was a young kid that was you know figuring things out my dad was helping me but you know also still figuring it out some he's at work and you know we're you know we're figuring things out and you know even using the right load you know you know I I know there were these you know back in that day where I was using you know like a four or five shot you know and you're looking at snow geese geese in general are they're big birds you ought to be using you know a a, a larger load than that and so you know that kind of you know that was the initial you know we talk about preparation you know not really setting myself up for success but you know unfortunately had to go through situations sometimes we're right in the very backyard you know you've got to you got to line that bird up for another shot and you feel terrible you know you're you, you as as Kent said earlier in the in the program you know 
it's for keeps you know that that bird goes down you know you're not you're not petting that bird and letting it go on you know you're 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 planning on taking that bird and so you know one of the keys that i found is you know if you're going to if you're going to do something in 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 terms of uh, finishing the clean harvest do it quickly um you know that's out of respect for the animal a game that you're hunting and you know you certainly any any good hunter out there you know the the, the nightmare scenario is to see anything suffer you, yep. you don't want anything to suffer um and i've even experienced it with with squirrels you know yeah. here in delaware um you cannot hunt squirrels uh strictly with a 22 in all seasons so you know whereas many parts of the country you can use 22s or small caliber rifles you know for part of the season sure. in delaware um you've got to use shotguns mm-hmm. um and anyone who's hunted squirrel out there know that squirrels are a tough game animal yeah, i mean I've those things, you can knock those things out of a tree and i mean they will they i can't tell you how many times i've knocked a squirrel out of a tree and it hits the ground and it is gone like it just goes off running and uh, i've had a couple scenarios where you know i've taken shots on squirrels and you know you you get up to it and it is it is hanging on to dear life and um you know you want to try to be you know quick about it but you know when you're dealing with tough animals um you know it that's not always easy so being prepared having in your mind okay what's my game plan um and and on the the deer front side of things um you know when i first started deer hunting you know i i actually missed five deer before i ever even shot a deer um you know so i you know i was dealing with a, a you know string of misses sure. and um you know, fortunately, I've been fortunate on the deer side of things to where I've been able to drop most of the deer that I've that I've killed and uh, harvested, and, and you know, a couple of them, you know, you know, really have run off and then died, and then I've really only had one. You know, and I've kind of mentioned this story in the last episode or two where, you know, I, I wounded it, you know, and I know I, I had a great blood trail, uh, you know, for about a yeah. hundred yards. Um, and never found that deer and mm. praise the good Lord. Fortunately, we got pictures of it, you know, a month and a half later, but just, you know, in that moment, you know, you're, you're in your mind, you're thinking, you know, and I specifically remember just when, when that blood trail dried up and we were not finding anything, I mean, I sunk to the ground and I was so sad because, you know, you go through all the hours of preparation and whatnot, but, but more important than that, this is an animal that you respect. And, you know, the, the thought of, oh my goodness, I, I shot too far yeah. back, too high. You yep. know, your, your mind is racing and going through all those things. Is that deer going to just, you know, find water somewhere, bed down and, and die and never be found? And, you know, all those things go through your mind. And in that situation, fortunately, it worked out to where that deer did survive, which, which is just a testament, once again, to oh, many of these yeah. game animals and how tough they are yep. how strong they are how resilient they are and which which as a hunter only makes you grow in your level of respect for yep. them and and in the fact that when you have an opportunity you want to take a, a reasonable shot you want to you know you want to make sure your angle is correct you want to make sure your gear is right you you want to do everything that you can do but then you know at the same time you you know that there are so many variables that you don't control so you recognize that those things will happen you prepare your mind for it and you're prepared to finish the job quickly for a, for a lot of reasons but mainly because you respect that animal and you don't want to see it suffer so uh, you know i've had the the unfortunate displeasure of you know having to see multiple species in that type of situation but you know fortunately as well that's been that's not been the rule that's been the exception and that's that's a huge blessing as well yeah for sure you know a, a common theme that i noticed throughout your stories there was preparation we and we mentioned a little bit before mm-hmm. but but yeah spot on 
mental preparation, rehearsing. Okay, mm-hmm. why mm-hmm. why do I have four arrows with me? You know, well, because yep. you might need four arrows, <laughs> and and, yeah, you be- right. and you better be ready for that if you if you're gonna go hunting. You mm-hmm. know, could be something like that. Could be something that I need to just get out in the yard and fling some arrows more days a week yep. than I don't. You know, and yeah, and I yep. need to. Um, Make sure my scope is actually absolutely spot on. I know how to adjust it for these different ranges. And mm-hmm. one that I think most hunters don't really establish well enough, at what range am I no longer comfortable? So right. it's not just, oh, yeah, I could, you know, my gun will reach out that far, you know, and, and yeah. still have enough energy to, to knock a, a, say, a deer down. Um, mm-hmm. But you kind of have to gauge what are you, what are you capable of, not just what what is your gear capable of, and and yeah. um, kind of have that range number in the back of your mind, and hopefully, you know, with enough practice, that number goes up as time goes up, and and um, yep. you know, you might find yourself uh, maybe you already do live out west or something like that in some of these more vast hunting areas, and you know you. To make a, a clean kill, you got to be comfortable with maybe shooting out to three, four hundred yards, you know, and yeah, for these, right. bit, you know, vast spot and stock type hunts. Um, and the opposite, of course, would be true for bow hunting. You're playing, you're, you're not playing, you're hunting so close to your game that that um, you got to be uh, really comfortable at multiple, uh, multiple uh, increments of, of distance that, uh, when, yes. when the deer is there, you, you know, okay, I need this pin and, um, the wind is doing this. So I need to, mm-hmm. I need to adjust mm-hmm. in this way. And, and when you do those things, you're not making it impossible for these situations that Brandon just described to happen, but you're, you're yeah. lessening the likelihood of it happening. Yes. At the same time though, you're never going to be perfectly skilled. You're never going to you're never going to be able to have um as much as much practice as you should have, right? That's we we yes. we can always do more, right? And so don't let it keep you out of the woods, you know? But That's right. but I think you need to make a realistic assessment and again, it's part of that preparation for okay, am I am I good enough at this to do to um hunt in either this manner or at this time and Mm -hmm. and uh it might sometimes the honest answer might be well i i think i'm still a year away a season away and 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 you know what i have all the respect in the world for somebody who who is willing to be that honest with themselves and 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 that really shows that you're you're putting work before play so to speak and you're you're getting your homework done and you're you're um not just letting um you know the desire to get out in the field and 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 yes and pursue uh you're not getting that ahead of what's what's realistic so yeah preparation is so well and can i like I really, I was going to say, I really like what you said there because that mental preparation, because here's the thing, when you go out and whether it's, you've got a, 
long beard approaching you you've you know you're you're sure. seeing the ducks coming into the decoys you you yep. know you've got a beautiful frosty morning you're watching a deer come in those are all emotional situations yeah. you know so yeah. when you as a hunter if you're not prepared you know with what let's just use you know even what you said the yardage situation if you're not prepared mentally with where you're comfortable and you're not set in your mind that you know what if if this animal that I'm pursuing is not within my mm-hmm. comfortable range, we're using that as an example, then you know what? I'm not going to take the shot. If you don't make that decision beforehand, yes. then what's going to happen is you're going to be influenced by emotion. Yep. So you're going to be out there and you're going to get emotional and you're going to start taking shots or making decisions that aren't really in, you know, are not really the best decisions to make. And that is when then that quite frankly, that's when you feel really bad because if something happens yeah. that could have been prevented, that's when, you know, quite frankly, you're, you're responsible at that point. Um, we all are, have been in situations where something happens and, and it's unfortunate, but you know what, you did everything that you could do to avoid it. But if you are, you know, branching outside and not really thinking through things and you're being controlled by the heat of the moment in those emotional situations, that is really can be a recipe for disaster. And, you know, the, and, you know, the best thing we can do is what you say, Kent, mentally prepare ourselves, tell ourselves, okay, where are our limits? And you know what? That Part of that also comes with the understanding that, you know what, and you mentioned this so well, multiple episodes so far, getting an animal is not the only facet of success. Mm, yep. You know, if you're out there and, and you know what, maybe you're new to bow hunting and your range is 20 yards. There is nothing wrong with yep. that. That deer is at 25 yards and every, you know, every bit of you, you know, every bit yep. of that, you know, instinct of, man, I, I want to see that deer on the ground. I want to harvest that animal. I want to, you know, eat that venison. You know, every bit of you in that sense is saying, take that 25 yard shot. Yep. But then the controlled sense of you says, you know what? I am enjoying this situation. I have come this close. Wow, I have learned so much. So it's, there's so much to process, and you've got to do it before you get in those situations, not after. Otherwise, you're setting yourself up. Yeah, that's the, that's 100% true. And and that feeling that you talked about, even if you're brand new to hunting, you've probably heard in some jestful way uh, um, the – or, or maybe even seen videos, you know, of people shaking mm-hmm. buck fever, right? And and yes. Bra- Brandon's exactly right. It applies to any time games coming in. I don't care if it's doves and around Labor Day. Yep. Yep. And mm-hmm. and uh, you got you got uh, you know maybe a dozen or two doves flying in. Your your yep. heart rate jumps up immediately. You. Uh, mm-hmm. And you're exactly right. If you haven't already gotten a grip <laughs> before you you went yeah. out there, you're not going to get it now. You're, you're yeah, that's you're, right. You're you're pretty much as close to a situation that you can regularly put yourself in where you start acting on instinct uh, that that yes. you can get that adrenaline starts pumping and and that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. You need to have it need to have it thought out beforehand. Yes. For today's tip of the day, our good friend Brandon is going to lend us his expertise, and it is a great thing for an experienced veteran hunter such as Brandon to help us with, and that is tracking game. Now, this is typically for us Midwestern and Eastern hunters going to apply to 
whitetail deer hunting, but certainly some principles here that could lead to other game species you might be hunting. So, Brandon, what do you got for us? Yeah, so, you know, this is kind of the, the that moment where, man, your heart is excited, but you're also nervous. Um, for those of us who have been hunting for a while, or, or maybe you've been in for just a year or two, and maybe you've had this experience where, you know, you take that shot at the deer, and, you know, it runs off. Maybe you feel super confident. You, you know, you feel like you've got that shot right behind the shoulder. You know, you're feeling good about the angle. Everything's great, but it runs off, and it goes out of sight. Uh, or maybe you took that shot, and, man, oh, you're a little far back. You're a little high, whatever. Um, the number one tip, you know, and this is a pretty typical tip, but the number one tip is to wait, you know, hold your position. And, and there's a couple reasons for this. Number one, you know, you, you want to make sure that you give the, the animal time to expire. Um, the thing is, too, with that deer many times, and it's pretty interesting thing about tracking deer, um, deer many times will not run in fact usually they do not run in a straight line after they get shot uh many times you might think that they are because you know we're in the in the span of time in which you see them they are running away maybe in a straight line but it is very common for deer to loop back around close to where you you last saw them you know and so it's it's actually pretty interesting many times you will end up finding deer maybe a hundred yards away from, you know, where your position is, but you'll notice that they've kind of done a half loop back to where, you know, kind of close to, to where, where they were initially shot. So it's kind of interesting like that. And so that's one reason why, you know, it's good to wait, you know, of course, as well, you know, unless you've got some footage to really look back on and, and of course, filming your own hunt or having a buddy film a hunt is of course becoming more and more popular, which is awesome. Tracking the memories, you know, is great, but also to be able to look back at the video, um, to be able to see, Hey, where exactly was that shot placement? Um, there's a lot of very interesting videos out there where you can see you know man a hunter may think that he had a great shot but when that video is replayed the angle you know maybe that deer was quartering towards you a little bit and you thought you had a good shot on it but actually because of the way the deer was quartering man you actually kind of hit far back so if you if you're fortunate enough to have you know the opportunity to look back through some video wow great tip do it you know look at it maybe you see the pros on on their shows man they'll they'll look back over that video probably 25 times, you know, before they even consider getting down and tracking an animal. But if you can feel confident with that, you know, hey, great, you know, you know, maybe give it 45 minutes to an hour if you've just got a boiler room shot and you should be good. Um, but if you're like most hunters, you know, going out by themselves and, you know, first-gen hunters getting into it, you know, seasoned hunters that are maybe out there with a buddy or whatever, you know, you're not typically going to be filming. Um, so hold tight. You know, the, the other thing, too, is, you know, mentally, one of the things I really like to do is, you know, of course, mentally make a note where the deer was shot. Um, and if you're hunting with archery equipment and you get a pass-through shot, that's usually pretty easy because you've got it marked right like that. But also like to do a mental mark of the trail that the deer took and the last place that I saw it. Um, because what I will typically do is I'll make that mental note. I, I you know, really advise strongly not to get out of your stand. You know, we mentioned sometimes those deer do loops. You know, you, you don't know how close that deer is going to be in proximity. And the last thing you want to do, especially on a marginally hit deer, um, you don't want to bump it at all. So holding tight is important, but make a mental note of that last point in which you saw the deer. And then when you, when you do get down, go and mark that place, you know, obviously many times, you know, you could be taking that shot, you know, a little bit before dark, you know, you could be, you know, you know, some of these things that end up ultimately being super critical, because if you can mark that spot 
ultimately what you can do is kind of backtrack and then it leads you to kind of creating a more formalized trail in terms of where that deer is going. So that's super important as well. Um, another facet, you know, and there's so many things, you know, at some point we'll have to have an episode or a part of an episode talking about the tracking side of things in more depth. But, you know, another big thing, of course, to look for is the color blood. Um, you know, if you've got bright pink blood, you know, on your arrow, if you're seeing, you know, a, uh, a trail very quickly of, uh, bright pink blood with like bubbles in it, things like that. Wow. That's, that's, you know, indicating double lung, you know, maybe some heart in there, which is of course what you want to see. Dark red blood is typically going to indicate that you've got a liver shot. Um, liver shots are, are good, but you should wait a while before tracking, you know, because there chances are that you could bump that deer and a liver shot is going to be what's kind of considered a, a little bit far back. You know, you think just behind the shoulder, uh, you know, and, and kind of mid tier there is, you know, your kind of your double lung. If you go to kind of go back on the deer, kind of mid range of the deer, you know, you know, kind of middle of the deer right around that area, just before you get to the, to the stomach and paunch area, you're going to have that little liver area. So if you get it, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, mortal wound. The deer will die, uh, but you need to give it plenty of time. Um, if you've got brownish red blood, something like that, um, not usually good. Um, you know, if you're looking at some grainy material on the arrow or, or you know, you're seeing some you know, trail of that, that usually means that it's through the digestive tract. Now, here's the thing. If a deer gets shot through the stomach, that deer is going to die. There, there is, there is no question about that. Um, but, ultimately what you have to do in that type of situation is you just back out. Don't even, I mean, do not even attempt to track a deer like that for hours. I mean, give it, to be honest with you, if it's the nighttime, give it until the next morning. Um, if it's the morning, give it, you know, give it six hours. I mean, I, I know that sounds almost crazy. Um, uh, but you know, we've heard stories where, you know, a hunter will bump a deer in, in an effort to, you know, really try to get that deer and it may be an excitement. We've talked about this before in the emotion of things, you know, go out there and, and this can, this can be especially prevalent with first gen hunters because, you know, Hey, maybe this is your first year. Maybe this is, you know, your first, you know, within your first few deer and you're excited, you're amped up, you're ready to go. And if you bump that deer, not only many times will the deer have stopped bleeding and, and it, when you're thinking about the the stomach you know the 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 awful stomach shot the digestive tract shot you know many times they're not bleeding a lot as it is so what you want to do is you really want to have that deer bed up and then you don't want to disturb it at all you want to let that deer expire many times you know, I, I can personally reflect on seeing deer, you know, shot in that area. They will many, they're, they're uncomfortable. You can almost picture yourself, you know, getting punched in the stomach really hard. Um, you might run off for a little bit, but you're going to want to stop and just ugh, <laughs> lay down, you know, and in very much the same way, that's what the deer wants to do. And so avoiding pushing it is going to allow that deer to bed up. And then hopefully ideally within a hundred, 150 yards, that deer is going to bed up and then you're going to be able to find it hours later. So that's the key because if you even bump it one time, you, you've, you've, you know, dramatically decreased your ability to, to likely find the deer. So those are a couple key tips, you know, number one, stay put after the shot. Number two, make a mental note of where you hit the deer in terms of, you know, where it was standing when you shot, where you last saw it. So you can kind of connect those dots. 
Um, look at the blood. When you first investigate, look at the blood. That's going to tell you how long you should wait. You know, I mean, we don't have to go crazy. I mean, if you've got a great heart lung shot, you know, a hey, waiting 45 minutes, it's a smart move. You know, you know, make sure you've, you've waited at least 45 minutes to an hour. And that's if you've got a boiler room shot, you're hundred percent sure of it. You know, if you're looking at something like a liver shot, man, wait a couple hours. Um, that's that, that dark red blood. Um, if you're looking at a digestive tract shot, you know, wait six plus hours. Um, you know, and there, in, interestingly enough, another tip too, it was one that I actually became acquainted with just this past year is many, in many areas, there are, um, dogs that are willing to, you know, there's owners of dogs who are willing to help you tr- track if your state allows it. Um, you know, this would be, you know, not to push deer around, but this would be for purposes of tracking a wounded deer. Um, dogs are a game changer. Um, and their ability to track down a deer and, you know, through that smell, through the blood, some are trained with smell, some are trained to, you know, you know, smell the blood specifically. Um, so a couple of different pointers and tips that could really help, you know, take a situation from, man, you know, maybe the, the highest of the, from the highest of the high to the lowest low to man, you're being smart, you know, about that decision right off the bat. You're, you're not, you know, you're trying to take emotion out of it. You're being smart about it and then to ultimately lead to recovery. And so, which is just the highest of the high. So definitely want to try to give you guys those tips and those pointers. Some, most of those simple things, um, to, you know, that encompass patience and maturity and kind of taking that emotion out to be smart about it, to make sure that you give yourself the best opportunity to recover that animal. Well, thank you, Brandon. That is high-level advice and, and certainly things that could save a hunt for a new hunter. Yeah. So yes. Ho- hopefully uh, we'll have some new hunters even this coming fall, have a deer on the ground, and and uh, maybe a few of them will even have to embark on their first uh, tracking experience, and hopefully these tips will prove helpful to them. And uh, yes. at this point now keep listening because we're getting ready to head into the second part of the show. Now, now, Kent, do you have anything on your side of things? I know, I mean, I know speaking from my side of experience, but I'm curious to hear, hear your perspective with anything that you've kind of experienced so far. For sure. Glad you asked me about that because, uh, probably the best example I have for this is by telling the story, um, kind of, kind of looking at the difference between my first deer versus mm-hmm. my first buck. And so, okay. uh, my first deer, I actually got my second season of deer hunting. It was a doe, a nice, nice, big, healthy, mature Iowa doe. It was, um, okay. it was, nice. yeah, it was, a. a picture perfect kill i mean um i just i actually hit her like uh in the neck which that might sound bad that might sound that might sound like wow that's a terrible shot but it wasn't a great shot (laughs) but it ended up it ended up (laughs) it ended up leading to a good a good result because you'll hear it another you'll hear other guys say it um you know a neck shot the nice thing about it is it's usually especially with a slug which i was using a 12 gauge slug i mean that thing punches the big hole there there's you got the jugular and and uh carotid arteries right there and uh they bleed out in seconds and that's what happened there she she went down hopped up a little bit and then and then thankfully you know expired within i don't know maybe 10 15 yards of there and and probably never yeah. even really knew what hit her 
honestly. Yeah, right. And so that was yeah. easy, you know. That was like, wow, you know, hunting, that, this is, you know, this isn't really a, a too too bad of a deal here that, you know, happened yeah. happened pretty much automatically and and before that I I had mm-hmm. been successful pheasant hunting and it was kind of the same thing, you know, I flushed flushed a rooster, unloaded yep. on him and and dropped him and it was, you know, as slick as anything. My, you know, Theo, my Brittany, he found him, and you know, it's like, mm-hmm. wow, you know, this—it's as easy as pulling the trigger. You know, I, not that I necessarily thought that yeah. consciously, but I certainly hadn't faced a hard situation yet. So then, yeah, the year after that, um, I had taken my brother hunting with me, and it was his first time ever deer hunting. And okay, uh, yeah, and so you know, here here we are, a couple of. Uh, first gen hunters together right and you know me the, yeah. the big experienced uh older brother with one deer and a couple of pheasants <laughs> under his belt yeah you know i picked out a good spot for us to hunt uh the night the evening before yep. we'd seen a handful of deer and so we were you know feeling pretty good about our spot and sure enough pretty much you know within 15 20 minutes of when we got to our setup here comes a nice eight point uh you know, just a good basket rack on him. Just a, you know, a, a yeah. really nice, just a nice buck for, to be your first buck. And it's mm-hmm. like one of those things like, sure, wow, this is great, you know. And I yes. fired my first shot. And I think after all these years of reflecting on this moment, uh, mm-hmm. and that, again, speaks to that emotional connection here. I think mm-hmm. what I did was, and this is a common, this is a common error that, uh, new hunters make and just people new to firing guns really um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh you may have heard the phrase that you don't pull the trigger you squeeze the trigger and yes. and it is so easy to do the pulling of mm-hmm. the trigger because <laughs> that's what you see in the westerns yes. as a kid you know you just see these guys yes. just put, you know slamming their f- fingers on on the those six shooters and and you play with your dart <laughs> guns and your your uh, oh, cap yeah. guns and stuff as a kid, and you don't. Mm-hmm. You, you, all you all you know is that you're pulling a trigger, right? Mm-hmm. But yep. until you really start throwing lead down range, you don't know really understand that there's there's a correct way to do such a thing, right? And so what I think right? I did yeah. was I would when I would pull the trigger, I would kind of pull my my uh, um, barrel to the right a little bit because I'm right-handed and uh, yeah and so I kind of I kind of uh went off my target and hit his back ham and he would mm. and he just limped he didn't act like much happened so I must have just like grazed him but he he yeah. really didn't seem that bothered so then here's here's the ultimate first gen hunter moment for you right here so okay let's so we're muzzleloader hunting and uh um you know, my brother's right there with me. We got a wounded deer. Yeah. Um, you know, hey, hand me your muzzle loader, you know. Yeah, and, right, absolutely. And um I I get a perfect bead right on his vitals. Click. Nothing. Oh. Well, with a muzzle loader oh. that's not unheard of, right? That's uh, yeah, you know, hang yeah. fires are a very and misfires are are yes. a reality that that you have to accept when you go hunting with a muzzleloader. The good thing about hang fires and, mu- and misfires are you're, unless something really crazy happens, you're not going to, you know, unless it's really close range and maybe the 
the the projectile comes out with like a tenth of its mm-hmm. normal energy or something like that, but yes. you're probably not going to wound yes. anything. The bullet's probably going to be stuck halfway down the barrel or something like that, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then you're going to have a big mess and have to get a bullet puller and and yank the thing yes. out. But so that's what I think would happen. So then it's like, all right, well I got to reload mine then, and it was cold. It was yeah. really cold that day. It was you know single digits definitely some wind chill and so you know how yeah. that is you got to peel the gloves off to to get, you know get f- fresh powder get oh, get your projectile yeah. mm-hmm. put the little uh uh jacket on there and and uh get your cap out and everything so my hands are basically two yep. stumps at this point <laughs> and but i get it reloaded i get up and i'm like all right i'm gonna really work on getting a good shot and this deer is still just sauntering you know just kind of limping on that back yeah. leg and you know, easy shot for sure. So yeah, I get a good, definitely within my comfort range, uh, shot him. Mm-hmm. He still doesn't know we're there. Um, and, uh, I think it was because we had, we'd done really well with our scent control. Um, you know, yeah. I think that that's one of the ways that being a science teacher has, has helped yeah, me get right. into hunting as a, as a first gen hunter. I can, I, you know, I, mm-hmm. I understand the importance of some of that stuff, but so our scent control was good. The sun was rising right behind us. So looking at us, it was he was totally we were washed out to him in the sunlight. And so, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so he's just kind of limping along there in front of us, and I get a perfect broad shot, broadside shot on him, and um, I drop him in his tracks. I mean, it's like mm, total nice. celebration. But then, as you were yes. saying earlier. Deer can be the toughest animals on the planet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He gets up, walks 10 more yards. Not, I mean, he's looking sick at this point. He's looking like yeah, he, yeah. Just, he wants it to be done. And yeah. um, at this point, he's walked. He's So he walks 10 yards. My hands are still so frozen from the last reload. There's not a, even a chance of me reloading and... And, um, yeah. you know, certainly my brother's so new to it that, that he's not going to be able to do so efficiently. And, yeah. and so he, he drops after 10 yards, beds, you know, just lays down, gets up, yeah. walks another 10 yards, drops again. So it's like, okay, he's, oh, he's my hemorrhaging, goodness. you know, he's, he's, yeah. he's losing consciousness here. Um, yeah, yeah. and gets up, walks another 10 yards, falls again. Gets up, My goodness. walks another ten yards into the this time into the timber, so I lose sight of him, and beds down. Yeah. Well, I've I've done enough, you know, reading and listening and watching deer hunting content to know that. Yeah. To know that I I can't just go running right after him, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we we gave it about. Uh, 45 minutes before we really came up to the timber, which that may not seem very long to those of you uh, seasoned hunters, but I mean, I'm telling you, this thing, this thing has dropped. He's been hit twice, and yes. he's dropped th- four times now. I mean, yeah, he's, he's mm-hmm. staggering. He's so I, I'm just, you know, I'm th- through the moon. You know, just so excited to finally get oh, my yeah. first buck, and it's nice, a nice eight point buck on top of that. Yeah. Well, we get down there, find the first spot where I um, hit him. Then we go down to 
where, yeah. uh, you know, not much blood there. I, I can't even really remember if we really saw much blood at all. And then, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. then we see that spot where I dropped him for the first time and there's plenty of blood there. You know, there's, there's good blood yeah. and hair. And, and so I knew I, I knew I'd hit him pretty good, but yeah, I also, you know, I think I've said it before. I'm kind of a, a, a pessimistic or skeptical kind of guy. So <laughs> I remember I, yeah, yeah. I scooped up a handful of that hair and I said to my brother, Jake, I was like, you know, this might be all I get of this buck. And I, and, and I said that and I was <laughs> like, yeah, but he dropped so many times. I bet you I get him. So, um, yeah. We start heading towards the timber at that point. We see all the spots where he's dropped in between, you know, follow his mm-hmm. blood easy. Mm-hmm. And then something gets bumped. A deer gets bumped. And mm. we've seen enough deer down in this timber that it's like, all right, it's just another doe or something, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, we kept following blood. And, man, it, I just got more sick as with yeah, each step yeah. we took. But here's the other problem. This was our last day of hunting. We were mm. we were far from you know not not like super far from home, but it was definitely an out of town hunt. And yeah, and you know you can't just like not return to your responsibilities that normal life has, right? Yeah. So it's right. now you're in this situation. You're like, okay, he's still alive. We've seen him fall this many times. We're finding good blood. Um, mm-hmm. And it was snowy, so it was easy to track him. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't snowing at the time. There was just a lot of snow on the ground. And yeah. and uh, so it was an easy blood trail to follow. And I was thinking, you know, we got this clock in the back of your head. Okay, we got to leave by this time. And um, Yeah, right. Th- there is some, some truth to... Hey, if you got a deer that's, you know, you've got him bumped or whatever, and you think you hurt him bad, then um, if you put a little pressure on them, they might bleed out faster or something like that. And, and there's mm-hmm. there can be some truth to that. You know, after this experience, I don't know. I I don't know how I totally feel about that, but that was kind of my thinking there too, with that clock going to the back of yeah. my head. You know, we need to we can't yeah. wait forever for for yeah. this and. Long story short, we we uh, tracked him for five hours. We followed blood, and wow. one of the what, I really believe that the Iowa DNR is is uh, um, sets the tone for anywhere else. Really, I mean they 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 nice. really do a good job with the laws they make. They make sense. They they treat you well. They they I think mm-hmm. do a good job with how they manage. Uh, uh, out-of-state hunting and, and stuff like that to protect the, the mm-hmm. commodity. and But uh, one of the best laws that we have here in Iowa is you can go on to a neighbor's land um, without permission to track mm. track wounded game. That's awesome. You The only stipulation, though, is you cannot bring your firearm with you for obvious reasons, you know, because mm, you know, somebody sure, sees sure. you walking onto their ground with a rifle in your hands or something, you know, that, that might yeah, cause a confrontation. Yeah, right. But, um, yeah. So we followed him on multiple neighbors' properties. We'd find where he'd bed down. We'd find good blood. And it, this was 
you know, bright red blood, you know, so yeah. evidence of hitting at least one lung. And yeah. And uh by the end of that 5 hours, many miles of of tracking him. I mean, we we did our diligence, man. We were we were yeah. climbing through streams, we were busting through ice, climbing up stream banks, hopping over barbed wire fences, crossed a river, a frozen <laughs> river. It it was it was nuts and he was still jumping fences. I mean, you could tell he was hit, hitting hitting he was hitting the top yeah. top strand of barbed wire because he was hurting. Mm-hmm. But the story ends where we got we started getting closer to him, but he would just maintain about 200 yards of separation from us. Mm-hmm. And finally mm-hmm. the this this scene haunts me. I, I really mean it. I think I, I hope that if you haven't had this experience, that this this kind of um, paints that picture for you, something that you got to prepare yourself mm. for. Again, uh, not to scare you off, but yeah. something you got to work through. Yeah. In your in your mind, I had to let him go. He was looking right at me. Mm. I legally mm. couldn't have a gun with me. I yeah couldn't get close enough to to uh, you know do anything about it otherwise and. He would. Mm-hmm. He knew we were there. He knew he just had to keep ahead of us 200 yards. He was multiple properties mm-hmm. away from our own, and we had that, you know, time limit. And sure, yeah. And he looked healthy enough, going yeah. on his way, for all this time that there was no way he was going to die wow. within the next 24 hours. You know, and yeah, yeah. And so I never found him. I I've searched for him. I've I've um. I actually found out the neighbor's contact information that lived over by there and owned a yeah. bunch of land, called him up. He went out looking for him for me on his uh, snow. Wow. He and his uh, sons went out looking for him on their snowmobiles, never found him. And, wow. you know, I I hope, you know, that that buck's still out there, you know, now. But yeah. I don't know. I Like I said, I hit him good. And I hit him what would anybody. Yeah. And, you know. I have friends that have hunted for a really long time and uh, probably a a friend of mine who's probably the the best deer hunter I know. He's like, I wouldn't, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have done anything different than what you did. And that's, well, that's reassuring. Right. Right. And it was, it was very reassuring, but it just goes to prove that sometimes Mm -hmm. things just do not go as you plan, and it really stinks, yeah. and it's really hard sometimes. But that's 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 part of hunting, and so that's right. Yeah. So you you have to you have to uh, come to terms with that. Mm-hmm. But we can't stop here because then you might not ever want to go hunting. And so we need that's we, right. Yeah. We need to address what makes hunting so good. Then, if there if there are these these hard times where you do you do have to kind of face up to the fact that you may cause some suffering. You may, um, you know, wound an animal and it's not a clean kill mm-hmm. and, and, you know, everything doesn't go like you pictured it would in your mind when you were planning the trip, you know? So what, what makes up for yeah. it? what keeps a guy like me who, um, I tell you what, I, I was, I was feeling pretty low after that. And, and I had some, oh, I had yeah. some big questions to ask for myself as a new hunter, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I haven't always responded to all challenges in my life the right way. But in this case, I think I did. I practiced more. I got better optics. Yep. I, yep. Um, I 
tried to figure my my gear out better. I really worked on that trigger pull issue. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, the big first gen hunter moment when my brother's muzzleloader didn't go off. It was not a hang yeah. fire. It was not a misfire. It was simply there was zero powder in his muzzleloader. <laughs> <laughs> so and so that was the ultimate uh a first gen hunter moment there right where oh where that's just, funny oh he, he, in his haste to get out to in excitement to get hunting and and just not having enough experience yet he forgot to put the powder in his muzzleloader so so that was <laughs> that was what happened there but what, there are some major realities that make hunting far more than the realities of that you know are unfortunate like we just mentioned but there are some major realities Mm -hmm. some facts that make hunting make a whole lot of sense and Mm -hmm. and um really not just okay yeah if i gotta get food might as well get it this way not just that just yeah it's it's good to uh hunt not not just for good for our enjoyment good for um, you know, maybe tapping into a, a, a side of our our human uh, nature as we navigate mm-hmm. life on Earth that we wouldn't other otherwise tap into. And not just that; it's actually good for uh, these game species to have hunting. And yeah, one of the most impactful things that I came across is I was kind of wrestling this idea of of you know your you're finding sport and the you know pursuing the the life of another uh, organism you know one of the things that helped me yeah. navigate that was i heard i heard a guy when i was watching a hunting show once say and he did have one of those moments where he made a really good clean kill and uh, uh you know it was with a high powered rifle i think he was black bear hunting mm-hmm. and the, i'm telling you this bear had no clue he was mm. he was living and then he wasn't i mean it was mm-hmm. it was he just got smoked and that was it and he said mm-hmm. this when you when you hunt and you kill an animal most of the time it gets a far better death than it would right. would have naturally and yeah and uh he's right when you think about how predation goes on um Mm -hmm. it is not a pretty picture to to uh die by the jaws of a a of a predator um yeah the probably the two things that i have observed here uh, in the midwest that have proven this it's easy to see it when you're watching like uh um, some kind of nature documentary or something and you see like you right. know, a cheetah chasing down a gazelle or something but <laughs> right. but but we obviously don't have those around here and um mm-hmm. so how do you still have proof of this you know well um i actually uh came across when i was shed hunting once a mm-hmm. uh raccoon carcass and mm. it, what was, you know, you see dead stuff all the time when you're out shed hunting. Um, but yeah. what was interesting about this was this raccoon was halfway down a burrow of some sort. Oh, wow. So I don't know what exactly happened here, whether he was being chased down 
Um, raccoons yeah. are pretty fierce critters if you ever see them fight with a dog or something. Yes. They, they can hold their own. But um, I don't know if he was being pursued. I don't know if... I think probably more likely he was going after some kind of ground squirrel or something and got stuck. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't living anymore, and it wasn't because he died of old age. His uh, yeah. His whole hind end was totally gone, chewed out. Mm-hmm. And some, yeah. something found him struggling there, and it had to be an agonizing, terrible way to go. Yeah. And, Ugh. and you know, it just made me think. Had had somebody been out coon hunting with their their dogs and giving giving him a shot from a twenty two would have been a whole lot yep better way to go and yep well said and the other thing and you've probably come across this quite a bit too being out and about mm-hmm. I like to say when I'm shed hunting I find on average five dead deer for every one shed. Right, yeah, that's an accurate statement. There's yeah. there's so many deer carcasses in the woods, mm-hmm. and it's all due to predation, and none of that mm-hmm. is glamorous. So when we do get those ethical shots, which thankfully happen more times than not, and or not not ethical, yeah. but uh, that's not the right term, those clean kills, I guess. Clean, yeah. It, mm-hmm. You save, you're saving them from a much worse outcome. Yeah, right. And so I thought that that was a really powerful point that he made. That made a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, you know, and, and honestly, too, you know, one of the, you know, it just makes me think, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, I actually had a dentist growing up. And, uh, you know, he actually, before I mentioned anything about hunting, somehow came up in conversation that he hated deer hunters. Oh, wow. <laughs> So I thought, and and I, I was getting my, a tooth drilled on. Oh man! So I thought, I this isn't this isn't the time to uh, tell this guy yeah. about hunting. Um, <laughs> he he kind of had you where he wanted you, um, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but you know, the reality is, we've all, many of us have have hit deer. We've known people that have hit deer. We've known people that have really been injured. You know, maybe driving a small vehicle and yeah. a, a deer comes through the windshield. You know, crazy things like that. And you know, it's you know the reason some of that happens is because yes, deer travel you know more different times of the year. Some in some areas, sure. deer are overpopulated. Yes, um, and so hunters really help with that immensely and and in 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 so in doing so they also provide a better quality of life for the existing wildlife you know um, anyone who's done reading or knows much about you know what it takes to sustain a wildlife population in a given area there's got to be enough food for the given population and as as things start to overpopulate yep. it puts a strain on the system and it decreases the quality of life for all the wildlife yes. so the ability to manage things well is an, is an important way to really show respect and give quality of life to the rest of the wildlife in that area. And so, and, and not to mention just the practical side of decreasing car accidents and deaths and and things that can cause a lot of issues, a lot of problems to to us as human beings. So you know, it's 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 great to be able to think from that perspective too. You know, not only are you 
providing for your family, you know, having an opportunity to get out, hopefully enjoy fellowship with other people, et cetera. You're also really, you're helping protect the other wildlife. You're helping to protect people, you know, so many facets that you don't, you know, as a first gen hunter, maybe think of, yep. but good to think through all of this as you think, wow, it's not just doom and gloom. It's man, there's a lot of these great reasons to get out there and give it a go. Yeah, for sure. And, and those are all really uh, valid reasons there. Um, yeah, I, I can't even I can't even uh, elaborate on that. You hit it so perfectly there. Yeah, for sure. the 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 biggest part of probably the, the most important aspect of hunting is is what Brandon mentioned with with our role as helping control these species. You know, I think a lot of times mm-hmm. we try to we try to think of things as oh man, we've changed we've changed how things are so much from uh, you know, before uh, Western expansion happened here in North America, and and there were these times where, mm. you know, for instance, here in Iowa, used to be covered in elk and buffalo, and, and but <laughs> there's no way our landscape, as the way it is right now, can can hold elk and buffalo. So my my point is, yeah, my point is, it's not, you know just more is not always better and uh and the difficulty in answering some of these questions is is much more than just leave them alone and let them handle themselves chronic wasting disease yeah is a major issue right now in uh uh, sure among cervid different cervid species um things like elk moose and deer it's it's becoming mm-hmm. a, a more serious problem each year. Uh, more yes, uh, m- over half of the states in North America have a CWD present. Yeah, and the nature of prion diseases like like CWD is that they're really really hard to fight against, and and mostly because we don't know much about it. And yeah. it's not like a virus. It's not a bacterial inf- infection. It's a, it's a misfolded protein. And so to destroy mm-hmm. it is very challenging to do. And, and they can actually survive in the environment for a long time. And so yeah. with a too high of a population density, which is what, what Brandon was talking about, um, not only do you have those problems that, like, that you mentioned with habitat destruction and, and overgrazing and things like that, transmission of these diseases you know these deer are picking it up and their deer are actually pretty social animals you know they hit the same watering holes they bed in the same location they you know they come in contact Mm -hmm. with each other obviously uh during breeding season and so forth and so they can pass this disease on easily and it's always fatal and yeah uh goes undetected in deer for there's a really long dormancy period that an infected deer can have that that you wouldn't even know and then you know all of a sudden it shows up and you just wonder how many deer other deer that that infected deer came in contact with during that time and right and so the the best way for handling that is cutting down on the deer population and by doing so you really help the species and then, of course, all those other things that Brandon mentioned too, overgrazing and, and habitat destruction. Mm-hmm. That is that is such an important reason why we need hunting and why here in North America we enjoy such abundant uh, game species populations is, is because yes. we help, hunters help hold those populations in check. And in fact, if you 
don't just take our word for it. You know, do go see what the the experts at um, QDMA have to say, and they'll tell you that mm-hmm. we don't even come close as much as uh, uh, good uh, men and women around our country go hunting and 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 help in this way. We still aren't even coming close in most areas for for uh, managing populations enough through through yes. our deer harvest. Yes, well said. And so very well said. That fact alone, you you. Play such an important role when you are a hunter, and one of the reasons why we need more hunters, and uh, one of the biggest reasons why you know our goal here at First Gen Hunters is to help you uh, get into that position where you are you are um, uh, able to harvest at least a deer, um, hopefully most years, and and um, you, you play such an important role in that, and so. When you feel some of those negative feelings, when you have a, a, a wounded deer or that situation where I basically had to let that deer go and, and, and Brandon mm-hmm. had the deer that thankfully showed up on trail camera and, and ma- made it through. And, you know, I'm, nobody ever came across that deer I shot. So yeah. hopefully, hopefully, um, he ended up making it, you know, but, but even if he didn't, yeah. um, uh, the, the importance still of me going back out the next year, or you going back out the next year is so yes. is, is, is very real and, and is needed. And so, uh, that positivity should help overwhelm the negative feelings that, that we have. And so as we, yes. we, uh, draw to a close here, let's say somebody is a fence sitter still, and they're, they're not sure how they feel about hunting. They don't, they aren't like your dentist, you know, where they're like, I hate, yeah, okay. I, I hate, uh, I hate deer hunters. So, oh, where'd that Novocaine go? Oh, we're fresh out. Well, here we go. Right. <laughs> but, uh, I'm taking out a couple extra. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> maybe they're, maybe they're somewhere in the middle and they're like, you know, I'm not sure if I can do this. I'm not, I'm not uh, sure how I feel about killing another animal. Mm-hmm. First of all, you you need to understand that there is no right or wrong answer here. I I don't I, I don't think that every single person should hunt, and yeah and um you, you know a lot of times we as hunters can get a little um, persnickety about yeah I I know where my meat comes from and and I have the skills to go and harvest an animal, and you know it's it's kind of a it is a pride thing, but um. Sure. We wouldn't want, uh, um, hunters wouldn't be happy if every single person on the planet was hunting because there would be no, <laughs> there would be yes. no game left. <laughs> so, so it is good yes, that we right. have, we have farming and, and other things. It's mm-hmm. it, the, mm-hmm. those, all those things are needed. Um, so yes, that, that fact alone means that hunting isn't for everyone. It's not. So if, if you come to that conclusion, well, that that's okay, you know, but I think that, mm-hmm that it certainly is the right thing for many people. And, and when, if sure. you're able to have peace about it, then absolutely jump into it w- uh, with both feet and, and, you know, respect the, the, the animal, of course, you know, you, not, not some haphazard thing where you're doing unethical things yes. and, and, and things like that, but, but jump in with both feet, try and be come as good of a hunter as you can be and do things the right way yes. as best as you can be. And uh, if if you're still kind of debating it, a great point that I heard made by um, uh, one of the biggest names in hunting right now, uh, Stephen Ranella, um, he he uh, made this point once when when 
somebody was questioning him on the ethics of hunting. And he said, well, if you eat meat and uh, you are okay with eating meat, and that then means that you are okay with somebody else doing your killing for you, basically. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. why then, if you're going to think that hunting is wrong, why is it not wrong for someone else to do your killing for you then and, and right. you to partake of of that side of things than for you to go take yeah. care of it yourself and i thought that was a really good point mm-hmm. you know if, if yeah, we are, it's great. i don't you know i don't think it's wrong if somebody eats meat and they don't hunt not not by any means but i think if somebody says sure. hunting is wrong and yet they're out eating hamburgers and pork chops and and uh yeah. you know, lamb shoulders and, and and things like that mm-hmm. you know then <laughs> then uh uh that they they might need to reassess how they they view that right and you know we've we've talked about all throughout but so there's there's different things in preparation you can do as well you know to help make it as clean as possible as mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as um you know fast of a, a kill as possible and um uh, of course, practice. We've talked about that multiple times. But also mm-hmm. consider limiting yourself to the most lethal equipment first. So um, yeah. I think I've mentioned before in, in previous episodes, I'm just now starting into archery hunting. Archery hunting is a very challenging way to, to harvest an animal, and you have to have a lot of practice yeah. to really be effective and, and lethal with that. A crossbow mm-hmm. kind of takes out... Mm-hmm. A little bit of that challenge it makes it more like a gun, mm-hmm. but even still, um, more challenging with a crossbow than than uh, with a rifle or or mm-hmm. a, a shotgun or muzzleloader. And so, um, maybe just limit yourself to those means of of hunting first, using a, a high powered rifle, or if you're you know, of course, if it's legal where where you live, and and uh, use a scope mm-hmm. so that way you can. You know, see that crosshair right on the vital regions of the animal mm-hmm. and, and kind of take out uh, some of that margin of, for, you know, error. Just really, mm-hmm. just really uh, narrow that down to make it as simple as possible. And then shoot from a rest position, you know. Don't yeah. don't take offhand shots. Have have either a, a you know, like a bipod or, or a tripod even, um, or, or maybe uh, try some of those methods of, like uh, stacking up your, if you, you're hunting with a backpack, stack up your pack on the ground, uh, you know, on a rock or something. Yes. Or lean against a tree. You know, have some way of just really steadying your, your weapon and, and making a good shot. Um, and then if in the case of like uh, the stories that Brandon and I told, this might be the most important thing um, we mentioned here other than the fact of how important hunters are to uh, ecosystems functioning as as they are in in mm-hmm. our highly developed world and, and country here in, in America. Um, but that is in the in the case. Let's say one of those deer did end up dying, and we didn't get to eat it. That see, we we lost out. We missed out on that venison. Sure, well, we we didn't get to end the story how we wanted to. But nothing goes to waste. Uh, Everything yeah. is cycled. You know, that dead deer may have just saved a struggling fox's life. Maybe a fox uh, injured his foot while he was hunting, hasn't been able to really mm-hmm. catch a break. Well, now here's a nice, uh, you know, dead deer carcass to feed on, and, and maybe that yeah. fox lives yeah. on and, and wouldn't have otherwise. 
Well, even yeah. even things like uh, the insects that are going to do the further breakdown come spring, and mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. scavengers like uh, turkey vultures and and crows mm-hmm. and and even other lar- larger birds of prey like hawks and eagles they'll feed on, mm-hmm. on carrion mm-hmm. like that, and uh, that that none of that goes to waste. That it's not it, it can't be wasted. Thankfully, uh, uh, the the way our our world is held together make it so that nothing no matter gets stuck in any way that it is it mm-hmm. gets cycled mm-hmm. through and so you don't have to worry about the that that deer going to quote unquote waste or that pheasant that you couldn't recover going to waste or or, or yes. whatever it's it's going to get used and it's going to be it's going to play an important role within its ecosystem and so I think understanding that really helps you work through those those hard stories that that do happen. Yes. And and again, going clear back to the beginning of this conversation, Brandon mentioned uh, you do it long enough, it's it, you know it, it can't. There's a good chance you're going to have something similar. And if you focus on these yeah. realities here, um, I think they'll be reassuring to you, and I think that they will help you down the road when when maybe you're not going through, but maybe. A, somebody you're mentoring uh that's new to hunting yes maybe it's your own kid maybe uh maybe uh your best friend or something you can you can kind of pass on these things that hopefully help you work through uh what we we went all the way back to the beginning and talked about with the hunter's dilemma right and and yes again if you are a fence sitter there is no right or wrong answer but i hope you see the very valid reason for why guys like Brandon and I, or other uh, men and women all around uh, our country, um, do pursue hunting as a very viable way of getting food and finding enjoyment and participating in in nature. Really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so well said. And you know, hunting, you know, is very much like life. You know, as you go through life and you go through challenging situations, you know. Uh, they have the ability to make you stronger, to help mm. you grow, to seek knowledge and those types yep. of things. So the same thing is in, in hunting, you know, as you go through challenging situations, you know, you, you may, you know, miss a deer, you may wound a deer, you may, you know, be shooting at that turkey and man, you, you winged it and, it and it went off and you couldn't find it or whatever, you know, utilize those things to, you know, instead of having a complaining spirit or, or something like that, a bad attitude yeah. or being discouraged, you know, use it as opportunity to grow, yep. you know, and, and, you know, so, and that's the cool thing about the journey, uh, and the pursuit, you know, you're always growing, you're always seeking to learn. It doesn't matter if you've been doing it for five years or 50 years, you know, there's something more to learn. Um, and that's what the journey is all about, you know, so, so embrace the journey, you know, it's so in life, you know, you have to embrace the journey, yep. understanding that, you know, everything doesn't always go exactly like you planned it. Uh, but that's okay. There's a purpose in it. Uh, and hunting's the same way, you know. If maybe you're on the fence, or maybe maybe you've had a, you know, maybe you got into hunting a couple years ago, and maybe you had a bad season or two, or whatever. You know, hey, get back out there. You know, sure. give it give it a try. I mean, you know, there there's there's more to success than just getting the animal. There's the growth opportunities. There's the learning opportunities. Um, and you know, give it a, give it a go. If you haven't done it, give it a try. You know, and and if you are a seasoned hunter. You know, just know that there are people out there very likely, you know, in your circles that want to try it, you know, so be willing 
to to help people. You know, be if, if someone's you know you strike up a conversation with someone and they bring that up, you know, hey, be willing to maybe guide them a little bit. Maybe maybe you maybe you don't have a big piece of property to take them on, but maybe you do have the ability to be, to give them some tips and some pointers. Maybe you know a, a piece of state land that's 20 minutes away that you know what? Hey, let me show you where this is at. I mean, this is going to yeah. be a great spot for you to start out. You know, and get going. You know, so even things like that that really don't take a lot of time, but you know, look for opportunities to kind of mentor people a little bit because when people when people get that mentorship, wow, that just dramatically increases the likelihood that they're really going to get into it. So important for us seasoned hunters to really be looking out for opportunities like that. Yep. Spot on. Again, first gen hunter, we're here for you to, to, uh, provide that information that, that you need to, uh, start getting out into the field and start, start participating. And, and again, I, 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 I don't, think i can overstate this for an episode like this is a challenging thing to talk about it's a challenging thing for yeah brandon and i to to really address but i i really do feel that it's important that we do um because i would hate to see it keep somebody from hunting because yes although it is a a powerful uh, emotion as we've described or or you know there are those moments that do just kind of like uh, burn in your mind, you know, from from, mm-hmm. from when the, when they when it doesn't work out how you wanted it. The yeah. good that comes from it so much more of the time far outweighs that that negativity, and yes. and you will have those good moments if if you hunt long enough. So just as just as uh, we said earlier, if you hunt long enough, you, you'll you'll have. Some of these negative things happen. If you hunt long enough, you'll have more good happen. You'll the, yes, and, and more than just more than just harvesting the animal. You'll meet people that mm-hmm. that literally change your life. That um, yeah, you find out you have this really powerful connection with that that goes goes back to to this activity of hunting, and you'll mm-hmm. you'll um have those times where you're out in the stand and you're just kind of sorting through life. And you finally mm-hmm. have the the mental quiet and the environmental mm-hmm. quiet, right? We just live mm-hmm. in such a noisy environment where there's, you know, always yes. a phone dinging or a, a e- mm-hmm. email to respond to or or um, mm-hmm. you know s- somebody talking to us or whatever it is. But the the growth that can happen just from from time to to silence life and and really think and. And, uh, you know, of course, Brandon and I are, are religious guys. We use it a lot of time mm-hmm. for prayer and, 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 uh, yes. you know, making sure that things are, things are on track with, uh, uh, the guy who holds it all together. Right. And yes, well said. And, uh, so there's so much, there's so many positive things. And then again, from an ecosystem standpoint, we play an important role as, as apex predators come hunting season, uh, mm-hmm. that helps mm-hmm. yeah. keep everything else in the right balance and, and healthy and functioning as, as it's supposed to. So we hope that yes. we hope that this episode as all of our episodes is helpful as, uh, as you navigate some of these challenging aspects of hunting and, uh, Brandon, do you have any closing thoughts here as we wrap this one up? You know, it's we just kind of keep going back to that journey, uh, and you know, a, a journey by nature, you know, is not always pretty. Uh, but 
when you look at it as a full picture together, it is beautiful um, because, you know, the things that we go through, sometimes challenging things, sometimes, you know, you're at the pinnacle of just the, the highest of the high, you know, it all ultimately, you know, makes us who we are, you know, and so those of us who maybe we're just getting into hunting and we're falling in love with the passion of the outdoors or those of us who've been in it for many years, you know, hunting is part of what makes us who we are, yeah. you know, which is, which is pretty neat, you yep. know, it was pretty neat. Um, and when you have it in the right balance, when you have the right perspective, it can bring so much enjoyment and fun and satisfaction and friendship. All of these things that can really amplify your life. And, you know, so those who are on that fence, think of, think of that, you know, think of all those ways that it can amplify your life, you know, aside from the, the enjoyment of the deer meat and all that, that you know, we've talked about as well. So many mm-hmm. other things mm-hmm. that can open the door to you for. So, so give it a try, give it a try, get out there and give it a try. And, and, uh, hopefully we look forward to talking to everyone more down the road about these different aspects of the journey and enjoying the journey and growing through the journey. Yeah, for sure. I'm excited for the next time we get together, maybe Maybe we can uh, uh, dive into something that is uh, a little bit more uh, lighthearted, and, and uh, yeah, you know, maybe maybe <laughs> we can maybe we can do it for our our icebreaker next next uh, episode. We could talk about most embarrassing yes. moments. Uh, Ooh, uh, that's fr- a good from, one. From uh, hunting, right? I I just told one of <laughs> I just told one of my brother Jake's right where he forgot to put the powder in the gun. Yeah, is that kind of yes. is that kind of my fault though? You know, because I was kind of his mentor there. You know, maybe I should have <laughs> flashed the uh, headlamp in the morning darkness uh, over his way to. Hey, did you put powder in that thing? As, <laughs> as as far as I see it, it was actually a good move. You were making sure that you were going to have the chance. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yep. You better believe I ask that question every single time now when we go hunting. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> hey, you know what, though? That's just something you never forget. You know, and I, I, I'm already looking forward to that icebreaker because I have a few doozy, a couple doozy stories. So, I mean, I'm, I I can relate right there with you. So, I'm excited to share a few of those. Good deal. My ego needs a uh, little bit of a boost here. So, I'm looking forward to hearing them. I got you covered. Yeah. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> well, as always, we we uh, are so appreciative of you tuning in. You can find out a whole lot more about what we think, say, and do if, at our respective websites. Find Brandon's website at thehuntfishlife.com and head on over to firstgenhunter.com to find out more content from us. And, of course, thank you again for lending your ear. Until next time, keep that line in the water and keep up on that summer scouting and uh, hopefully it'll pay off for you come this fall there you have it the hunter's dilemma i hope we didn't scare you away but rather helped you feel validated in your decision to embrace the hunting lifestyle please let us know how we are doing by leaving a rating for the show And please also head to firstgenhunter.com to access all of the other material I create to help you as a hunter. Until we share the airwaves again, my camo donning friend, take care and take someone hunting.